Hello and welcome to Solutions. This is our sixth podcast for solution-focused hypnotherapists and I'm Cathy Eland. And I'm Trevor Edwards and we're both experienced solution-focused hypnotherapists. So this time we thought we'd look at weight management. We've all had people come to see us for help with weight loss, although we don't call it loss because no one likes losing anything and they immediately set about finding it or replacing it. For most clients, it's probably best to focus on getting them into their control brain and giving them the ability to choose when they eat and what they eat and how much they eat. And it also gives them the ability to choose if and when to do exercise and how much. So have you got any interesting food facts for us, Trevor? Yes. Uh, Foods are usually divided into carbohydrates, fats, proteins, vitamins, mineral salts and water. Carbohydrates are broken down into simple sugars when they're digested and they get absorbed that way. They give us energy and excess carbohydrates can be stored as glycogen in the liver. Fats are broken down to fatty acids and glycerol to be absorbed and they give us energy as well. Uh, Excess can be stored under the skin and round organs and elsewhere. Proteins are broken down into amino acids and can be used to build new muscles and other proteins in the body. Vitamins and mineral salts are usually used in small quantities and their absence can be harmful. And water is the fluid that every part of the body needs. I suppose it's fair to say that food facts do change over time as people discover more facts. Yeah, absolutely. And can I just say that our ancestors used to store fat as a way of surviving when there was little food around. It's just not necessary these days. Um, Typically, men are 15% fat and women are 27% fat. And that's because the extra fat is essential for reproduction and ovulation. That's really interesting. Um, So I'm going to talk briefly about what's going on in our body and what makes us feel hungry or full. The thyroid glands, together with the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland, control the body's metabolism. The hypothalamus is the John Humphreys, the mastermind of the appetite, and in turn stimulates the thyroid gland. The thyroid gland produces thyroxin and triidothyronin, which regulates metallic rate. The pituitary gland produces thyroid-stimulating hormone and thyrotrophin-releasing hormone. But to note, underactive thyroid can cause continued weight gain, even if the right things are eaten and proper exercise is taken. In the body, there are many hunger stimulants. These include hormones like leptin and ghrelin, PYY3-36, aroxin, cholecystokinin, and these are all produced by the digestive tract, except leptin. But in addition, the body's biological clock, itself regulated by the hypothalamus, modifies hunger, not forgetting that emotion can affect how we eat, such as when we're stressed or bored or unhappy. Leptin, as I've mentioned before, is manufactured primarily by white adipose or fat tissue. And the level of circulating leptin is directly proportional to the amount of fat in the body. Leptin acts on the hypothalamus and inhibits appetite. Its absence leads to uncontrolled food intake. Let's get to ghrelin. This is a hormone produced by the stomach and stimulates hunger. Ghrelin makes you greedy. That's a great way to remember it. Ghrelin levels increase before meals and decrease after meals. So let's look at some food groups. 
Carbohydrates and proteins are good at sending messages to the brain, saying that you feel full and thereby suppressing your appetite. Fats are not so good at this. Hence, it's harder to feel full when eating high-fat foodstuffs, so the body eats more. When the body digests carbohydrate, the simple sugars are produced, are absorbed. The sugars needed are used by the cells, and excess is converted to glycogen by insulin from the pancreas and stored in the liver. When sugar levels in the blood drop too low, glycogen is converted back into glucose and transported around the body in the blood. Glucagon, which is also produced by the pancreas, is responsible for this. Raised insulin levels encourage fat to be deposited. A prolonged low blood sugar can leave people feeling irritable or aggressive or unable to concentrate and may suffer from headaches. And fluctuations in blood sugar levels causes an increase in sodium retention, leading to a bloated feeling. A natural consequence of this is that food stays in the gut longer and more calories are absorbed from it. So what's going on in terms of brain chemistry? We've got endorphins, noradrenaline and neuropeptide Y that increases our food intake. Whereas serotonin, cholecystokinin and corticotrophin releasing factor, CRF, reduce our food intake. Uh, complex carbohydrates, sort of thing you find in rice and oats, increase serotonin levels, making people feel good and in control of their appetite. This is because a high carbohydrate meal causes a larger proportion of tryptophan, an amino acid, to get to the brain and stimulate the production of serotonin. Carbohydrates help the body to release insulin, which in turn increases the uptake of amino acids other than tryptophan, resulting in a higher percentage of tryptophan available to be absorbed by the brain. On the other hand, High-protein meals provide lots of amino acids, and so tryptophan doesn't dominate, so less serotonin is made. The amino acid tyrosine manufactures the neurotransmitters noradrenaline and dopamine, whose positive effects we know about. Uh, exercise releases endorphins, which help to make us feel happier, calmer, and more alert. Exercise also stimulates corticotrophin-releasing factors, CRF, which suppresses appetite. Neuropeptide Y then tells the body to eat good food so it can perform more exercise. Brilliant. So some people say they eat because they like the taste of something like chocolate or in my case, custard donuts. So what's going on in their brain when this hedonic appetite system is working, when their dopamine reward system is in play? It seems that eating is a bit like chasing the dragon. We need to keep eating more and more of something we like to get the same amount of pleasure as the first time we ate it. That's what a study by Stysertel 2010 found. Similarly, Wilcox in the same year. They found that the BMI, that body mass index, and difficulty controlling weight are associated with low dopamine activity. Yeah, Pepino et al. 2016 found that in general, people grow less fond of sweet things as they move from adolescence into adulthood. Also, as people age, they have fewer dopamine receptors in the striatum that is uh, critical to the reward system. The study found that both younger age and fewer dopamine receptors are associated with a higher preference for sweets in those of normal weight, 
but not in people with obesity. That explains a few things. And clients often talk about the glycemic index. So um, I'll tell you about that. The glycemic index, or GI, refers to how quickly carbohydrates break down during digestion and release glucose into the bloodstream. Carbohydrates that break down rapidly have a high GI. Those that break down more slowly, releasing glucose more gradually, have a low GI. A lower GI means less insulin is needed to deal with the food. So low GI foods are recommended. Right. What about satiety index? Foods with a score over 100 are thought to be more satisfying or filling than white bread. And the top three scorers are boiled potatoes, fish and porridge. So eat those and feel fuller than with any other food choices. And it's good to eat fibre so that your intestines have something to squeeze against. That's a thought. And it's good to keep your good biome happy as discussed in podcast three. People talk about eating antioxidants, which are foods which can prevent or slow down damage to cells caused by molecules with free radicals. Foods rich in antioxidants are dark chocolate, blueberries, strawberries, raspberries, red cabbage, beans, and my least favourite, kale, and many others. Yeah, and if clients start talking about calories, typically between 60% to 85% of the calories you use in a day are for things like breathing, digestion, and circulation. This is your resting metabolic rate, or the RMR. And it's worth noting that digesting the food you've eaten burns calories. So while it's theoretically possible to measure all the calories that a person consumes, it's almost impossible to measure the calories that are used. People are different in how they burn calories. For example, they have different metabolic rates, which can depend on how much muscle they have and how fit they are. The normal metabolic rate can vary from 1,450 to 1900 calories. Energy is used when people move and when they fidget. Energy is also used, as you've said already, Trevor, when people eat and digest food. Plus, the amount of energy used will be different for different people on different days. Mm, Yes. So, what about dieting? Well, a 2018 trial of 609 people who ate a calorie-controlled diet for a year found that some people lost more weight when given a high-carbohydrate, low-fat diet, and others lost more weight when given a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet, even though the total number of calories consumed was the same. In each group, some people didn't lose any weight at all. Another complication is that foods interact and their calorific content varies when mixed. That results in the rate of energy released from combined foods being different from when foods are eaten separately. Yeah, and similarly, how often people eat can have an effect. Humans and mice put on less weight when food is eaten within an 8 to 10 hour window than if the same amount of food is grazed all day. It is also worth noticing that a person loses between 2 to 9% of the calories they eat as digestive waste, and the type of food a person eats has an effect. I guess it's good that getting fat isn't catching. You say that, but Christakis and Fowler in 2007 published in the New England Journal of Medicine 
a study of 12,067 people from 1971 to 2003. So that's pretty big. Worryingly, they found that a person's chances of becoming obese increased by 57% if they had a friend who became obese. They concluded that obesity appears to spread through social ties. I don't quite know what to say about that. Have you got any other good food facts? How about this? Brain scans of similarly aged people who eat either a standard Western diet or a Mediterranean diet show that the brain of the person on the Western diet looks older. The brain is shrunk, atrophied in certain areas. So maybe fizzy drinks, fast food, processed food and refined sugary sweets aren't that good for you. Not if you want to enjoy a healthy old age. Yeah, and keep looking young. So that means the diet our bodies are designed to eat are vegetables, fruits, nuts, seeds and fish. You've got an interesting fact about cholesterol, didn't you, Trevor? Yes. I mean, people talk about cholesterol, but only 20% of the cholesterol in your body comes from your diet. You make the other 80% in your liver. One other thing you might like, your brain uses a fifth to a quarter of all the calories that you eat. So if you want to burn more calories, use your brain more. Do more thinking. And by that, I mean do maths problems or learn a foreign language. Oui, ooh la la. So your client comes to see you about weight loss. What might you do? Well, usually the first thing to do is to establish their goal. How much weight do they want to lose and by when? It can be useful at this stage to produce a roadmap for them showing how much they'd have to lose each week to achieve their goal. But always with people who are overweight, remember there may be underlying reasons why they are overweight. And these reasons may well be revealed, of course, through our miracle question and can be dealt with in later sessions. And that's why it's important to acknowledge the client's presenting problem, but use the standard techniques to help them overcome other personal issues at the same time. Indeed. Having goals and targets can be a great way of motivating clients with high self-esteem. However, clients with low self-esteem are often frightened by goals and fear that they will fail to achieve them. And then they make sure that they do fail. So for those people, there's no point setting weekly targets, although longer-term goals are important. You might think that people who are overweight are hungry all the time. But some of them don't notice when they are feeling hungry. That means when they do eventually eat, they are so hungry that they lose control and will overeat. Other people may think they feel hungry when in fact they're feeling thirsty. And in that case, the best thing to do is to drink a glass of water and wait to see whether their hunger pangs pass away. Some people eat when they're tired. And that's why helping clients to get a good night's sleep is so important. Some people eat because of emotional issues. The miracle question can help out about what's going on in their life that they can find so upsetting. And some people eat for secondary gain. Being fat and less able or attractive brings some other advantage you might not at first guess. Yeah, true. Um, I do weigh people when they come to see me. I do have some weight loss scripts, which I use for the first one or two sessions. 
And before you hold up your hands in horror, the reason for this is because it proves to them that I'm listening to them and their issues. It helps to build rapport. It's also pretty much what they would expect to happen. And it motivates them with something that they want to move away from. And according to the common factors theory, 30% of the improvement in a client comes from the relationship between the therapist and the client. In that case, it makes sense to address the problem, definitely in the first couple of sessions, in order to build a strong relationship and maximize their improvement. Once we have that bond, that trust, it's all solution-focused work from then on. I'm glad to hear it. One powerful question, though, to ask clients is this. What stands in the way of your success? It's a great way of getting them to think and it helps shape the work that you're going to need to do with them. Or you may ask, what would you have to be doing differently in order for you to achieve your goal? Why is your client overeating? What triggers their eating problem? What beliefs do they have about food and eating that need to be changed? What limiting beliefs do they have about their ability to lose weight that need to be overcome? What's their self-esteem like? What habits do they have that need to be changed? Do they recognise and acknowledge that they have an eating disorder, if they have one? And how well are they sleeping? These are the questions to ask. Great questions. And here are some suggestions to help clients eat less from the book 59 Seconds by Richard Wiseman. The first one, start eating your meal at normal speed and then slow right down. Use tall, thin glasses. Put food away out of sight when not eating. Concentrate on eating. Don't get distracted. Use small plates and spoons or maybe keep a food diary. Think about how much you'll regret not going to the gym. Use more energy during the day. Don't use the lift. The stairs are a better option. Put a mirror in the kitchen and avoid those multi-packs. I meant to say that as with all solution-focused work, therapists should avoid being seduced by the problem. Just because a client says they want to lose weight, not to spend the whole time talking about food and weight. Our standard approach is to help people reduce their levels of anxiety. This can make them better able to take control of their impulses. For example, snacking. And we can help them to sleep better. The Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism published an article in, in January 2012 showing a direct link between sleep deprivation and obesity. As well as the usual sparkling moments, scaling and miracle question, it's useful to ask exception questions and coping questions. The exception questions can identify when the client doesn't eat too much. The coping questions identify how the client successfully copes with the eating. Yeah, that's great. And for many people, simply eating a little less will cut down the calories they intake each day. However, it could also lead them to feeling hungry and then uncontrollably binge eating. And that would reduce their self-esteem because they feel like they don't have any control. Actually, that reminds me, I do have a metaphor about the brain and binge eating. Go on. 
One way of looking at the brain is that the primitive brain is like an Indian elephant that can do lots of work. And the intellectual brain is like the rider or the mahout who tells the elephant what to do all day. Yeah, I like that idea. There are times when something happens and the elephant takes control and runs off. And there's absolutely nothing the mahout can do to try and control it. Sometimes your metaphorical elephant sees donuts and runs off towards them and binges on them. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. Nice metaphor. And that's why we help people get into their intellectual brain. So they have uh, smaller elephants to control. Anyway, and during the trance sessions, you should try to include ideas and phrases from the client to personalise any scripts, language patterns you're using. And you can spend time helping the client visualise or rehearse choosing healthy foods and healthy eating techniques. You could also help them visualise doing healthy activities such as going for a walk or if they're up for it, going swimming or going to the gym or doing any activity and enjoying it. Surprisingly, exercise isn't such a great idea. A study of champion dieters found that exercise was the least successful way to lose weight. It seems that the most energy expenditure is preset and hard to change. 70% of the calories we eat go on our preset resting metabolic rate. 10% is used in digesting food and that just leaves 20% that is used up in physical activity. However, about half of that is used in small movements like sitting and standing and fidgeting. So it's quite hard for any increased activity to use up much of the percent of the calories that we eat. Hmm. I suppose a Mars bar has 230 calories, which would require over 15 minutes of intense skipping to burn off. It's easier simply not to eat the Mars bar. Indeed. So you may need to spend time helping clients to change bad habits and replace them with better ones. The trick here is to get them to visualise each stage of the new habit rather than just visualise the successful conclusion of the change. It's also useful to encourage them to spend time with thinner people who eat well and exercise and not spend time with larger people who eat less healthily and probably don't consider exercise. One suggestion is to use metaphors in which outer layers are purposefully discarded. You might like to talk about sculptures chipping away at stone or wood or ivory or bone and find something beautiful inside that the sculpting process will reveal. Or perhaps they're discarding layers of heavy winter clothes to reveal their beach-ready body or at least their cooler summer clothing. You might send them on a journey carrying a heavy rucksack and numerous other bags that they gradually discard as they travel on the journey. They struggle with the weight to begin with, but as they discard more things, they feel lighter and their whole body feels healthier. It's also useful to get them to imagine a future version of themselves who has achieved their goal and get that future self to tell them what steps they took to achieve this desired state. That helps to give them a realistic idea of what they have to do in terms of looking good, eating well, and perhaps exercising. It can be also useful to revisit how they feel when they're about to eat a takeaway or a big meal. 
Are they thinking about the taste of the food or its texture? Or are they thinking about how the meal will feel in their stomach? A sort of heaviness that will last for a while after the meal has finished. Eating a big meal is like falling out of a tree. Everything seems fine until the last moment when you hit the ground. So clients should consider the consequences of eating something before they start. And it's useful to empower your client. Diets tend to be restrictive about what people eat. You're not going to say what they can and can't eat. You'll encourage them to make sensible decisions about the way they eat and what they don't eat. But if they do want to eat something like a takeaway, then they can, but just once in a while. And we could suggest that they try eating more fibre and more plant-based food. And their diet needs to be as diverse as possible and chemical-free. And uh, cut down on sugar and ultra-processed products. Ultra-processed foods can be calorie-rich but nutritionally empty. Okay. So here's just a few points to think about when dealing with a weight management client. The first one. The solution to weight loss is perhaps firstly in accepting it. We all have a dairy milk eating part of our brain. And as you know, in my case, it's custard donuts. And this allows us to pursue and develop strategies to cope with it. In reality, we become more accepting of our behavior. If not, we can dissociate ourselves from what we're doing to gain weight. It's not about liking it. It's about making conscious choices of accepting it. Number two, people often pin their happiness on losing weight. Uh, We may hear, I would be so much happier if I was two stone lighter. Some people often have the capacity to be over-controlling in their own expectations and overdo the solutions. Number three, always remember the power of moral licensing. That's that psychological bargaining where we tell ourselves we've done or will do something good. So we deserve to do something bad. Have you ever had the thought, I've been really good with my diet today so I can treat myself tonight? Your food and exercise choices should not be up for moral judgment. And number four, people often who are trying to lose weight label foods good and bad. So if a person decides to eat something from the bad list, then by definition, they are bad. A sure way to fill the bucket And finally, number five, as human beings, we will never achieve perfection. We aren't wired that way, metaphorically speaking. So we can start to be slightly better at taking control or even quite good or even damn good. Small steps in the miracle question, even eating one less than a full packet of chocolate digestives can be a breakthrough. But be prepared to find out more about a person's life that they may wish to discover and be prepared to find more going on in their life that they may want to discuss in addition to eating too much. Great stuff. Well, that's about it for this podcast. I hope you found it useful and I hope we've not overwhelmed you with too many food facts. And I hope we've given you some good ideas about how to help people wanting to slim down. Now, we're taking a summer break, so we'll be back in September. So it's goodbye from me, Cathy Eland. And it's goodbye from me, Trevor Eddles. See you in September. Bye. Bye.